Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited as I always am to have my guest on today, a friend of mine, um, someone that I've got to know over the last year, Dr. Ludo. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. We've had many a chat while I was getting um, what worked on, which we'll maybe get into that a little bit later right. <laughs> on your table. And I love diving deep into anything around health, different approaches to health, living better, longer, faster, more energy. So you are a doctor of naturopathic. So let's start right off the bat. Most people I'm assuming have known or have encountered, but that's a definition that maybe can get interpreted differently depending on who you maybe met in your journey. So how do you define what you do and uh, kind of the services you provide? And let's jump off from there. For sure. So the official definition of naturopathic medicine is a scientific approach to medicine that focuses on natural treatments. And so... Um, you know, concretely what that looks like for my patients is basically trying to improve their quality of life by looking at things such as their, their lifestyle, of course, because most of our health problems, um, come from our lifestyle, uh, using supplements, uh, other natural treatments. So things like, uh, some IV therapies, other injections, um, whether we're talking about intramuscular injections or, um, rejuvenative uh, injections for in musculoskeletal injuries, um, and so it's uh, it's very similar to what you would get from a family doctor. But I do focus on natural interventions to help people improve their health, prevent future problems, prevent chronic illness, and improve their overall quality of life. You made the comment about family doctor. I was as I, I was as I was sorting through my mind what I want to ask. Similar to a GP in terms of your approach, but the distinctive being not a natural approach to the treatments and to the the things that you might be involved with. Yeah, so my training is very similar in terms of you know physiology, uh, pharmacology, um, you know understanding what the pathology is, um, but of course the focus is is on using natural treatments. Um, to help improve the patient's health outcomes. You've been doing, how long, you been, how long have you been in the space? 20 years now. I know time flies. It's, it's hard to believe <laughs> it sometimes, but um, I graduated in 2004 from the Naturopathic College in Toronto, the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. And uh, yeah, I've been practicing in Alberta and Calgary since then. Amazing. How has... How has it evolved since then? 20 years is a long time when it comes to things that were even on our, on our radar now health-wise versus maybe some of even the beliefs, the mindsets, the, culturally the things we believe to be true. Like what, if, what are some of the things that you've seen that currently jump out that 20 years ago that was a big deal and now we don't even talk about it? Or now we have so many better tools or access to deal with because the human body is the human body, and we've been mistreating ourselves for longer than 20 years. <laughs> for sure, yeah. The, the profession has expanded a lot. Um, when I first moved here 20 years ago, there was maybe 30 to 50 naturopaths in Alberta, and now okay. there's hundreds. And so um, I think it's, it's uh, more common now for people to see a naturopathic doctor. I think a lot of the research has also progressed tremendously. There's more and more... Uh, research that's being done on natural interventions, more and more research on supplementation, uh, and of course, lifestyle is is a major focus in medicine in terms of preventing chronic illness. In most of the developed world, our, our problems when it comes to chronic disease and, and poor health are related to our lifestyle. So um, when it comes to dietary intervention and understanding the importance of exercise, proper rest, proper sleep, 
avoiding tobacco products, uh, limiting alcohol intake, all of that, I think we've always known that was very important, but there's more and more research, more and more information that helps us uh, tailor interventions to help patients live a better life. There's so much more information of like, oh, there's that friend who doesn't smoke and is against or doesn't. Now it's like, well, that's commonly known and it's whether you choose or not choose. It's not that that information about its impact isn't available, right? That's correct. I, I, would, I would argue that most patients know they should eat vegetables, exercise regularly, <laughs> avoid tobacco, don't drink too much. Um, so a bar- big part of, of what I do is try to understand what the barriers are and then ho- help patients overcome those barriers. But you're right. Um, the knowledge is there for most people. But you'd be surprised at how many people are misguided too. I see okay. patients that you know try to do the best when it comes to their diet, but unfortunately, um, they're misguided. And so I think some of those efforts are wasted. With supplements, I would say it's even way more common where people will self-prescribe supplements and they're really lo- they're re- wasting money on things that are not helpful and sometimes even harmful. It happens rarely, but it does happen. Is that a little bit of the challenge? And I know there's been some rhetoric, even from a governance perspective, on the fact that anybody can just go online or go into a into a health food store and buy like the, the the supplement sections in those stores are overwhelming and there's literally a cure for things you don't even have that you need to know you'd be cured. Like, is there some challenges in the fact that that does that diminish sometimes the credibility in the space because it's just so armchair accessible? Like we all can be our, our own naturopath, even though we maybe shouldn't. For sure. I, I do think the Canadian marketplace is way better than the U S marketplace. Okay. Um, health Canada, has put in uh, regulations and legislation when it comes to the production, but also labeling of natural health products. And um, I think it's cleaned up a lot of the environment um, when it comes to, you know, what's, what, what's, a, what's a manufacturer allowed to say about their products, but also uh, giving the information that's really important for, for people to have when it comes to, self-prescribing some of those supplements if that's the route that they choose to go down um our labels are are quite good you know we we have information on labels in terms of recommended dose the claims that the claims that are allowed by health canada are based on scientific research that has to be submitted and reviewed by health canada products are registered with health canada and need to have a natural product number and so I think Canada has done better than other countries when it comes to making sure that there's not a whole bunch of, you know, harmful products that are misleading consumers. <laughs> the flip side of that, though, of course, is that it can be more restrictive, right? In the U.S., there's products that are available that we simply can't get here without prescription or sometimes not at all even. The claims, the, the history, the is it accredited? How concerned do you need to be as a consumer? And we'll get into some specific niches here, but just quality of what's in the bottle or what's in the capsule or what's in the pill. And I've often heard sometimes like, ah, not all vitamins are created equal, just at the most super level. Like this is high volume, low quality. This one's going to cost you more, but more bioavailability. Is the actual substance itself, like how regulated is that? Or maybe how concerned should I be as a consumer? Yeah, there's definitely some... truth to that um you were talking about large volumes so typically let's say a company is producing very large volumes of supplements then uh, the machinery that they're using has more moving parts typically to 
to allow for production of large volumes and then they need to use more flow agents and additives to the product to to allow that product to be made in massive quantities um, but I would say for the most part, our supplements are very good. Um, there can be some formulas that are certainly not as good. And there are some more advanced forms of different nutrients that are going to be better absorbed or more useful for patients that have certain uh, genetic mutations or genetic profiles. Uh, for example, if we talk about uh, folic acid, um, there's about 10% of the population that has what we call a gene polymorphism where they have a very hard time metabolizing folic acid. But if we use the downstream metabolite, then uh, it's a lot more useful for those patients. So, um, but I would say overall... And, that, and, that, and that's just one little example of for where sure. and there's, one size doesn't fit all, right? Correct. And there's dozens of examples we could go through. Um, often I'll tell people it's fine to select a product in a health food store, but if you know you're not getting the outcomes that you're looking for, then it's probably worth it to consult a professional and and use a professional brand, professional product. And as a professional, one of the things that I do is is try to make sure that we're using the best tool for that patient to improve their health. And so um, it can be very overwhelming for patients that you know are not familiar with different uh, supplement companies or different. Uh, different forms of different nutrients. Um, but overall, I do think the labeling for natural health products in Canada is pretty good. If I spend a little more, do I get a little better? Is it, it, it I, I, not to create a shortcut, but if you buy the cheapest thing, you might actually, there's a higher chance or is it more complicated than that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. <laughs> and, and often that is the case. If you spend more, yeah. the product will be of higher quality. The quality control will be better. Um, but that's not always the case as in, in other areas, right? Like if you look at clothing, for example, <laughs> branding plays a big role. Um, I had a patient who was a master brewer and he was telling me from the same vat, we produce 14 different types of beer and the price difference from the cheapest to the most expensive is very significant. And so... Um, I think some of that can but happen. It, but, with, but it came out of the same batch was the point of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, as, as a marketer, I get it. But as a consumer, I'm concerned. <laughs> I know you don't like that as much as a consumer. <laughs> no, right? so, I do not. I do so not. Because I feel like somehow I'm getting duped, right? Nobody likes for that. For sure. And, and it can be like that with supplements. And, and a good example is years ago, um, people were really concerned about supplements coming out of China. And um, because I don't, I don't know if you remember, but there was some tainted uh, baby formulas and some children yes. were hurt because they contained melamine. Um, because it tricked the test when we assess protein content. And so the manufacturers of the protein in China added it to trick the test and make people think it was protein when it wasn't. Um, that and makes so you cringe consumers, when you hear those stories, right? Yeah, and then consumers really want to source products that didn't come from China after that. But what ended up happening is companies were buying vitamin C, for example, from the U.S., but the people selling it in the U.S. were buying it from China. And so, <laughs> yeah, we've got to be careful. It, it can be tricky to navigate that environment. I worked in the supplement industry for years. Um, and it's, but in most cases, I would say most manufacturers are there to help people improve their health. And so the commitment quality is typically there, especially in Canada. Well, you're dealing with global supply chains and like it's, it's, it's too often too complex for the average individual to want to take the time or even know 
where to find that information. So find a trusted. So working through, and I'm assuming I know through working with you, you have sourced trusted uh, resources that you can give and recommend and prescribe with confidence, right? For sure. Yeah. The companies I deal with, some of them, I visited their plants, looked at their manufacturing process. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely ways to assess the quality. Um, More than the, the average individual is going to go on a, on a, on a road trip of, uh, of, of, of health food and manufacturing facilities. For sure. Totally agreed. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, it's January, we're doing this episode, it's going to come out. So this is a hell of a time of year for resolutions and health. And are, do you see, an, on, do you see a, an increase in your patient load? And whether you do or you don't, maybe it doesn't matter. I'm kind of curious with the patients you're seeing, what are some of the main things? Because we could talk about so many things under this umbrella. What are you kind of seeing in your day-to-day with the patients that you deal with that are like, these are the areas, these are some of the consistent challenges, concerns, and maybe some of the ways to approach that that are similar like you identified good night's sleep and eating and what's kind of showing up on your desk if you will even the last few months for sure yeah so in the new year there's lots of people coming in that are basically driven uh, to the clinic to try to improve their overall health Um, some people it's because their benefits renew as well so there's there's that as well that's happening so it tends to be a very busy busy time of the year um, the most common complaint in, in uh, family medicine or general practice, uh, including my own practice, is fatigue. It's, uh, okay. it's amazing how many people are exhausted or modern life is very stressful. Lots of people are not sleeping well, not exercising enough, not eating properly. And there's huge issues with weight. Weight is another area that's super problematic. Uh, The average Canadian carries too much weight. Uh, 64% of Canadians, according to the last statistics, and I have a feeling it's increased since then, are overweight or obese. Uh, And so that's a major problem that that really affects uh, longevity, quality of life, uh, overall wellness, and can lead to some fatigue. Uh, there's tons of problem with anxiety. Again, our, our modern lifestyle is so busy. There's all kinds of pressure. The economy right now for a lot of people adds a lot of stress. Um, lots of depression. So mental health is an area where we see tons of issue. Again, because I do injections to help patients recover from joint injuries, I see tons of that. So whether that's a uh, uh, patients that have suffered a motor vehicle accident or people that have been hurt at work or through their exercise programs. or um, So I see lots of those types of injuries. Um, and then there's all kinds of other problems, lots of diabetes, lots of high cholesterol. Cholesterol is high cholesterol is rampant in Canada. Statins are some of the most prescribed medications because of that. Poor sleep um, kind of goes with anxiety, of course, uh, and lack of yeah, exercise. Yeah, there's a handful, the lack of exercise, the anxiety, the no sleep. Like, I don't get a good night's sleep, so therefore I become anxious. I'm anxious, so I eat because it makes me feel like there is a bit of a cycle. So when you deal, say you had five patients come in, all from maybe different walks of life, age, genders, uh, back, racial backgrounds, but they all have that kind of sleep exercise. I'm not asking for a one-size-fits-all, but is there some universal truce? And where does it start to get really... Because when each of us are, are dealing with that, we feel that our problem is unique. But yet I can talk to five friends that are having similar problems, but that might all get solved a different way. So for people listening today, if they're like, yeah, tell me about it, fatigue, anxiety, like they're nodding their head as they're listening to us chat, 
is there some baseline stuff that everybody needs to do? And then talk about maybe when it gets a little bit more specific as you get down farther down the chain. Yeah, so I often talk to patients about the lowest hanging fruit. Like, how is it that we're going to get the biggest improvements um, moving forward? And lifestyle, honestly, is usually where there's going to be the biggest changes in terms of well-being. And in most of the developed world, there's five factors that lead to the most, um, most problems when it comes to our overall health and well-being. Um, one of the biggest ones, of course, is not exercising. And in Canada... 20% of people exercise on any given day. The recommendation is to exercise at least five times a week, cardio, 30 minutes, and two hours a week of resistance exercise. So unfortunately, most people are nowhere near that. After that, uh, one of the biggest problems is weight. Again, obesity is very common. Um, after that, we're talking about nutrition, and there the biggest problem is not enough vegetables and way too many carbs. And um, so typically, when you say just uh, I'll park there for a second, too much carbs, define carbs just for the audience, because that could be a tricky, that's a tricky definition in this world of fads and mis misplaced diets. <laughs> for sure. And, and you know, I, when I was studying human nutrition at McGill University uh, in the 2000 to 2004, the Canadian food guide was, I don't know if you remember, but it was a rainbow. I and do. on the outside of that rainbow was carbohydrates. And we were recommending 8 to 12 servings of carbs per day. And one serving is the equivalent of a slice of bread. So can you imagine eating 12 slices of bread a day? I would what, be gigantic. Without. You would? We would <laughs> all be gigantic. I, yeah. Now, the reason why we're, we were doing that is because cardiologists were really concerned about the increase in heart disease. And they felt that it was most important to reduce saturated fat and overall fat intake. So we pushed everybody towards carb intake. Unfortunately, that did not lead to improvements because everybody gained weight. And if you're obese, your risk of heart disease significantly increases. And I still see so many patients that are making that mistake. My average patient, half of the plate is carbs, about a quarter is protein, and about a quarter is vegetables. If you look at the new uh, Canada's food guide, which is way better than what it was before, half of the plate should be vegetables. There should be a small amount of complex carbs, which means not white stuff, not sugar, not sweets. We're talking about whole grains, uh, whole wheat, um, legumes, and then um, some protein. About a quarter of the plate should be protein. So... In terms of diet, that's our biggest problem. There's not enough vegetables. The recommendation is for 8 to 20, 10 servings of vegetables per day for Canadians and, and you know most people. The, if we look at the actual statistics in terms of what's happening, less than a third of men are getting five servings per day right now. So vegetable intake is one of our biggest problems when it comes to longevity, good health, having a healthy weight and feeling good. I'm looking at it right now, it's literally a plate, which is quite, and it's so much more appealing than the old 80s kind of infographic that you described that I think many of us grew up with. Yeah. And aesthetically, it's like, oh, I get it. Like, it, I can look at this now and, and actually go to my fridge and understand how to maybe make this happen. I know. It's the plate method of eating. It's very simple. I've been using it for years um, and for most people and makes it very simple to look at their, look at their plate and see, am I, how am I doing? Is, is, is this healthy or not for me? 
Um, and the problem is if, if you eat half, half of what you eat as carbs, you're going to gain weight. The research is there. We know. And you mean a loaf of bread a day is going to contribute to weight gain. That is yeah, shocking. I know. I hope most people are like, okay, yeah, that, tell me more things I've heard, but you're right. It's so easy to assume everybody knows that. Yeah. But I grew up in an era where my poor mom was like, start no fat, but which consequently meant more carbs. And I watched her, if I think back of the things she did while following this guide, it did. It was a bad. It didn't work out. <laughs> they were sold a false bill of goods. They were sold a false bill of goods, and that's why you know the rates of obesity increased um, because we push carbs. And we're talking about Canada. If we get into some U.S. statistics, it's, it, get, it gets uh, 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 way worse, significantly way worse. worse, especially worse. in like, children. And and another big problem in children is, and especially uh, teenagers, is the amount of added sugar. And so when we look at added sugar, the World Health Organization has said anything more than 25 grams of added sugar per day is going to have some serious negative consequences for health when it comes to diabetes, weight, and heart disease. And the average Canadian gets 52 grams per day. So, um, you know, we say up to 60 spoons of sugar per day is okay, which seems like a ton, but the average Canadian is getting 12 to 13 teaspoons of added sugar. So not sugar found in fruit, vegetables, or grains. Added. Stuff that we add because it's sweet. And sugar is highly addictive. The food industry understands that. They want us to eat more and more of their products. So they pack it with sugar and then becomes addictive. And, and unfortunately, teenagers, if the average Canadian gets 52, the average Teenager gets over 50% more than that, so about 75 grams of added sugar per day. A lot of that comes from pop and juice and really unhealthy I just, stuff. I, I just pulled it up as we're talking. One 12-ounce can, can of soda contains eight teaspoons, 32 grams of sugar. So you just blew your daily allowance by just having a, having a Coke. Not to pick on Coke. It's, but it's outrageous. Let's pick, let's, let's, let's pick on Coke. It's outrageous. <laughs> and, and I think that's where our government has failed us. You know, like we... We tax cigarettes, we tax alcohol, we should tax that stuff. It's, it's killing people, it's, it's terrible for us. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of lobbying that the government was looking at. Even when we look at our food labels, one of the things that I want to see is added sugar. And the government, um, I think it was under Harper, was looking at adding that to the labels. And there was such pushback from the industry that they didn't do it in the end. So we have total sugar. But we don't know if that comes from the misleading. grains or if it comes from what they've put in there. Breakfast cereal is a perfect example. Like you look at your breakfast cereal, it's granola. And then it tells you there's 32 or 35 or 40 grams of sugar per serving. You don't know if that's been added or if it comes from the grain itself. So then you have to look at the list of ingredients and see where sugar falls when sugar is number two or number one on the list you know it's problematic <laughs> yeah and that's usually what happens but again the yeah. average consumer doesn't really understand that and so we become misguided thinking oh my muesli in the morning is so good for me and meanwhile it's it's busting your your daily allowance for added sugar and it leads to diabetes weight gain and poor health and you're going to be tired if you eat more sugar because when your blood sugar spikes, it then crashes as your body tries to bring that back into balance by releasing insulin. And so with fatigue, sugar is a very significant contributor. And most people don't understand how much sugar they're getting. And that's why those statistics are not getting better. I really love what you said about it's like 
there was a period of time when, oh, it's just calories, it's carbs, it's protein. It's like, no, where is it coming from? Is it coming from a sugar from an apple that came that way from nature versus teaspoon after teaspoon to tablespoon to cup of added sugar and how different that actually plays out from a, from a hormonal perspective? Like the, the, the up, the up, the high, and the crash. Because fortunately, our body is, is very good at regulating, but it overcorrects. <laughs> Correct. Well, it's just, it's not been designed to handle that much sugar at once. You would never, as a hunter-gatherer, have had access to that much refined sugar. The only source of very high sugar for a hunter and gatherer is honey. And the average hunter and gatherer can access about two kilograms per year of honey. And if you look at what the average Canadian gets per year of sugar, it's multiples of that. And we're not adapting to it. We're getting... We're, we're falling apart because of it, you know, back to adaptation and like the thousands of years it takes for the human body to adapt. For sure. Yet we're, dr- we're drowning it in a system that's just too sweet. The change has happened way too quickly and we're designed to like sugar because it tells us that there's energy in that food. But unfortunately, we have access to all the sugar we want now, whereas before that was impossible. You'd have been stung and it would have been very hard. You'd have had to climb a tree. It would have been dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you, you, you had to work for your sweet tooth a lot harder back then. You're getting stung. You're like, but I for love it. Sure. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> As you're hanging off the side of a tree, getting stung in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny mental picture. I, I cut you off because I wanted to camp out on that a little bit. So you had not enough exercise. You had weight gain, uh, nutritional challenges. And you said there were two more in terms of your five factors. So there, that's where we end up with the alcohol and um, the mm. tobacco. And those two are very damaging. Um, the new recommendations for alcohol intake are no more than two drinks per week. Uh, alcohol consumption keeps increasing um, in Canada and unfortunately a lot of people are consuming way more than that. It affects the liver, it's empty calories, it gives you no, nutri- no nutrients. It increases the risk of cancer very significantly. You know, the industry sometimes we hear that um, wine will help to decrease heart disease. But what nobody tells you is, yeah, maybe a tiny little bit, but your risk of cancer significantly increases as soon as you have one drink per day. Um, so My heart's great, but this cancer is a real downer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Are um, we seeing a decrease in tobacco consumption? Is there is there at least one silver lining in all this? Because I don't is, know actually. anybody who smokes. I know one person I think that smokes. Versus you and I grew up in Quebec. Everybody smoked and drank it's wine, true. and they still do, and they still do. Yeah, so there, the you know Health Canada and, and the marketing campaigns by our government have done a very good job. Um, basically, they've made smoking uncool, whereas before yeah. we used to tell kids this is dangerous, but that's what made it cool. Ah, I don't care if it's dangerous, and so you and yeah. I'd be smoking cigarettes right now as we're as we're talking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the new generations, the Tobacco use has gone way down. Unfortunately, vaping has kind of reversed that somewhat. Uh, vaping is not as harmful as, as smoking a cigarette, but it's still obviously something that needs to be avoided. And I think there's some changes uh, coming down the pipeline now to try to limit that. Especially yeah, that whole vaping thing did feel like it was like a like wrap it up, and then all of a sudden, like, are we kidding ourselves? Like, we're sucking in chemicals that have been altered with heat. Like immediately, like my back, my science background. You add heat to something, you're 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 changing its state, and it's not usually better for human consumption in that way. Aside from food, and you know, you're you're heating up a chemical to create an outcome. The chances of that going sideways are high, right? For sure, yeah. So, but you know, if we look at the statistics in the developed world and in Canada, those five risk risk factors are the majority of our chronic health conditions, and and chronic health problems are 
or what we need to address. Uh, you know, a lot of our healthcare system was designed to address infections and um, triage, right? Yeah, but now we need to work on prevention because once you have a chronic health problem, it's not like when you have an infection and you give you, you take an antibiotic and it goes away. It's a lot harder to reverse those types of problems, and prevention is where it's at. And our system is not designed for that right now. And, you know, that's that's where I try to focus with patients because that's where the real gains are going to be when it comes to aging well and, and being able to have a fulfilling life um, for years and decades to come. And is that, does that, you know, 30 to 50 naturopath, uh, doctors of naturopathic in Alberta 20 years ago versus hundreds now, is that also just a direct result of people wanting to take a little bit more self-responsibility, realizing that their GP, if I fall down and hurt myself or break my leg, I'm going to go to probably go to my, I'm going to go to the eMERGE. For sure. But for what you're should. talking about here, <laughs> good advice, notoriously, your GP doesn't help you necessarily a lot with these things, or they do it with prescription meds, or they do it with some type of surgery for weight loss or things like that. Has that also contributed to the drive or the quest for people going, ah, oh, man, there's got to be some other, there's got to be some other way to approach this. I'm going to go see a naturopath. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you're, you hit the nail. Or am, on I, the... or am I just seeing it optimistically? <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think one of the, one of my, the biggest advantages that, that I have as a practitioner is that I have a lot of time with my patients. And, you know, if that's you a, go to your family difference. doctor and they have 15 minutes with you, it's very hard to start looking at how much exercise, what are you eating? Are you stressed out? Are you resting properly? Are you anxious? What's your percent body fat? And, and how is that evolving over time? Um, so, you know, if I can spend an hour with a patient, I can, I can relay way more information and give them the tools that are going to help them improve their health, improve their lifestyle, lose some weight or maintain, um, their current weight and not gain more, eat properly. Um, so I think it's, I think family doctors would love to sit with you and talk to you about lifestyle, but the way the design, yeah, the way the system is designed, where there's a fee per visit, it's basically the incentive is to see as many patients as possible in a day. And then I think the care suffers and you have to rely on more medications because you don't have the time to explain to someone that if they exercise more, if they reduce the amount of saturated fat, their cholesterol will improve. And where's the saturated fat coming from? And what are they currently eating? And, and, and you know, wh where are they... Where are they making mistakes that could be improved um, through better counseling and coaching? And and for a lot of people, like to your point, they might have good intentions, but they don't always have the right information. Just to be to give everyone the benefit of the doubt a little bit. <laughs> for sure, everybody wants to be healthy. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Um, yeah, yeah. So let, let's let's. We've talked about the kind of the core, of the offering, some of the challenges, the, 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 big, the big five, if you will, if we're, if, we're, if we're big game hunting on what's actually causing challenges. For sure. What are the, some of the things, like let's talk about maybe the optimize. Like I've got my exercises on, my weight is good, my nutrition, but I just feel like I need a bit more energy or I wanna, I'm getting a bit older and maybe I don't feel as strong or I don't recover as fast. Like what are some of the areas of maybe the augmented, the, the optimization side? Let's just call it the, like there's getting to the, the best point I can. Then there's like, I wanna get better. What are some of the things that you see or where you get excited about some of the treatments you've seen have some really good success with people that want to take it up a notch? For sure. So 
you know, sometimes you need more information, so more advanced testing, or, or sometimes even just the regular blood work that your family doctor would do with you will pick up on some reasons why you might be tired or not feeling as well as you could be. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, biohacking, increasing your uh, nutrient intake through dietary supplements and, and IV therapy can make a huge difference when it comes to well-being, energy levels. Um, I often will rely on some of those supplements and IV treatments to get patients to feel better so that they can increase the exercise and, and try to improve their life. Almost kind of hack, hack the, yeah. the model, right? Yeah, put a what little kind, bit. What kind of nutrients? If I was going to come in for an IV for that, like I just want to feel better, I want a little bit. Like, what what are some of the nutrients? What are we actually talking about? Yeah, so one of the IVs that's often used is NAD, and NAD is an energy yep. metabolite, and for a lot of people, it helps with uh, focus and cognition, but also energy and overall well being. Um, one of the IVs that uh, naturopaths often use is called a Myers cocktail, which is a multivitamin mineral IV that contains way more nutrients than what you can take orally. Um, that can help tremendously when it comes to improving how people feel. Um, <coughs> there's other nutrients, of course, that can help. Uh, carnitine for some people is super helpful. CoQ10, which is another energy metabolite that comes in the form of a supplement can make a big difference for patients. Um, but it depends what's going on. And, and um, yeah, so sometimes some testing will help as well. You know, is your thyroid working well? Is Are your blood sugar levels normal? Um, I had a patient earlier today and he was telling me, I don't understand how I didn't feel that my cholesterol was not normal. And it's like, well, it's like blood pressure. If, if I don't measure it, you're not going to know that it's abnormal. And so... Sometimes not having the information to understand what's happening is the biggest problem. Sometimes it can be hormones. Women tend to have a really hard time at menopause or perimenopause when estrogen levels drop. It affects how they feel. They, they're more tired. It's harder to focus. Uh, it affects their mood. Um, so, you know, sometimes looking at that to see exactly what's going on and see how we can best help those patients is going to be key, right? If you don't have the information doesn't get addressed, doesn't get managed, and your health doesn't improve. You, you mentioned just, you know, women's health, men, like touch on men's health, hormones in general. It's a topic that I'm hearing more about. Like there's no more, we don't need to suffer in silence kind of thing. Like there, there's a way to proactively deal with some of the changes that happen as we all, as we all age. Is that becoming a little bit more mainstream, more acceptable, more people going, hey, I don't want to, I'm tired of feeling shitty. <laughs> like, I, like my body's changing, I need to deal with it. Is that, I'm assuming that's something that probably ends up in your office quite a bit? For sure. Tons of that. Um, you know, men, as they get older, sex drive goes down, muscle mass decreases, their motivation is down, and that's often because testosterone is decreasing with age. With women, the change is even more drastic because it happens all of a sudden. Uh, estrogen plummets, it affects their bone density, and and sometimes what ends up happening is when you lose bone mass, our body is very smart. And if we're exposed to lead, the lead gets... The problem with heavy metals is that our body doesn't have a good way of getting rid of them. That's why they're so toxic. With lead, right. the body knows that it's not good for us and it dumps it in the bone matrix to keep it tucked away from our organs or brain or blood vessels. Put, it, then, in a safe, put, it, put it in a safe spot. Yes, <laughs> just store it for now. But the problem is when estrogen drops, estrogen is an anabolic and makes things grow, including bones. Estrogen drops. All of a sudden, we lose significant amount of bone mass. 
all this lead gets released in the blood. And especially in older generations that had way more exposure to lead because we didn't understand the real risks associated with lead until later on. In Canada, we still had leaded gasoline until the late 80s or 90s, depending on which province we look at. That went in the air, it coated everything, including you know, produce and fields where we grow food, but also, you know, sidewalks, buildings, it's in the air and we absorb it and the body puts it in the bone matrix. And then all of a sudden estrogen drops, all this lead comes out and it, it makes the person feel even worse than just the symptoms associated with menopause. You're suffering from lead poisoning based on your body's now inability to keep it kind of under wraps since it was already in your system and they could, wow. Never heard it broken out like that. That's actually super, that's kind of like, that's super scary and a little bit intense. It's like you have lead poisoning. You're like, where the hell am I getting lead poisoning from? Like from inside your own stores of it. That's so interesting. Yeah. From decades. God, the body is, the body is tricky as hell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And if, and that's where, you know, experience really comes in because I've seen this again and again. Now I understand what's happening, but um, yeah, so it can be tricky, but there's usually, I always tell patients there, there should be a way to help you feel better. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody has the right to feel better. Talk to me about sauna a little bit. Like I've been an advocate of it for years. I've have one, I have an infrared sauna at my house. I've, that's, I've, it goes, it seems like it goes through these resurgence, like this thing that's been around for a thousand years, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's popular now in pulp culture or North American medicine or North American alternative has said, hey, there's some real benefits here. We can prove it out. I have read around getting helping to get heavy metals out of your system that something like infrared sauna can be beneficial. Is that a myth? Is that an urban legend? How, like, what are your views on sauna just in general? I think the research is there. Um, you know, okay. sauna, exercise, anytime you sweat, you're going to be releasing some toxins. It increases blood flow. Um, so there's all kinds of benefits for sauna, hydrotherapy. Um, yeah, certainly it's worth worthwhile if you have access to a sauna to do those types of therapies. It helps with detoxification and better, better health overall. And lots of patients notice a very significant difference if, if they start using sauna and infrared is even more helpful. It's been shown to be better at uh, detoxification. There's more metals that are come out, going to come out in the sweat. If, if we use an infrared sauna, um, so absolutely, it can be part of a you know healthy regimen, and it helps in terms of dealing with stress. Um, it's for some people, it can be seen as a bit of a complementative uh, therapy, right? Like yeah. kind of like meditation. It's it's kind of a timeout where where you're in sensory it, 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 deprivation. Yeah, and it, it it helps with mental health as well for a lot of people. It's super helpful. Would you say, I'm going to geek out on the sauna question because I was debating this with a friend of mine the other day. The higher heat that can be achieved with a conventional sauna of that 180, 190, like kind of burn your, burn your nostrils kind of heat. Right. Versus infrared is more like a 140, 150 range uh, in terms of, but I've read that, yeah, okay, the higher heat can have certain health benefits, but the certain wavelength of the infrared can actually have other health benefits from metabolizing toxins at a subcutaneous layer and like really geeking out on it. Do you have any point of view? This is a way like you just became my sauna expert. Any perspective on the higher heat versus the benefits of infrared specifically? Yeah. So the infrared basically will, will go deeper into the tissues. And so that's why it's going to be more helpful because 
if the heat goes in deeper, especially, you know, through the skin and deeper into the tissues, it helps to access the adipose tissue and release more toxins. There's also been some research where if people do saunas and they use some supplements that have been shown to help with detoxification and makes the process even more helpful. So um, there was research uh, about a decade ago looking at alpha lipoic acid, which we know helps the liver metabolize toxins. NAC, which is a form of cysteine and a precursor to glutathione. And so using that in combination with sauna therapy, uh, you know, in terms of helping remove some of those toxins um, makes that whole process way more efficient and, and, and more effective. Yeah. If we're humans going through the world, is it just safe to assume that we've got toxins that we're carrying around that we could probably want to get rid of? Like, oh. this isn't like, oh, you have a toxin problem. It's like, no, you're human. And you live in a world that's got all kinds of stuff floating around. So just assume that this is good for you. Is that, a, is that a good kind of way to think about it? Yeah, I think we've done a really good job at polluting our environment. If you look at <laughs> microplastics and some yeah. of those persistent pollutants, we use all kinds of chemicals. When we grow food, we put all kinds of additives in our body. Stop. Literally, you're making me depressed. Stop it, it is Stop depressing. It, <laughs> it is depressing. <laughs> What the heck? What are we doing? But I love things like sauna. How many times a week? I'm, sorry, I'm geeking out on the sauna thing right yeah. now. Because is, it, is it once for an hour? Is it every second day? Like how often do I have to do sauna to get a benefit from your perspective? It depends what fits with your life. But, you know, if you could go every day, I think that would be amazing. Uh, most of my yeah, patients... Yeah. They're, 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 I've read there's no such thing as really too much. No. Until the point it makes you faint and it's you're dehydrated and like just from a, like don't overdo it, like any form of exertion. But a daily sauna for half an hour is going to have no negative impact. Exactly. As long as you rehydrate properly, it's going to be yeah. beneficial for you. There's no doubt. It'd be like saying how much exercise is too much exercise. Well, that... When you start that, getting injured, it's too much exercise. Yeah, <laughs> that takes a lot of exercise. You know, I, I, I used to work with Olympic athletes and I remember talking to the doctor for the team and I said, how often in your career, and this person was very prolific... He'd done tons of research and he'd been working with athletes his entire career. And I asked him, how many times in your career have you seen someone that overtrained? And he said, one time. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that rest is not important. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Well, there's a difference between overtraining and not having an adequate recovery too. Like there's a, that's a slippery slope with that. Formula. For sure. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of blood work that shows that the athlete was depleted and their muscles yeah, were not yeah. recovering properly. Once he said he saw that. So I think it's a similar thing with saunas. Like if you spend all day in your sauna every day, yeah, you're obviously going to have problems. But if you go for 20 to 30 minutes a day or maybe every second day, it, it, should, it should be an excellent way to detoxify and help improve your overall health. What you're saying is there is still a degree of common sense involved. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I, no, I, Miguel, I say that very facetiously. <laughs> for sure. I remember when I was studying human nutrition and Miguel, um, there was a course in toxicology. And in the first class, the teacher says, the, the, the dose makes the poison. And, and basically meaning, you know, we can all tolerate certain amounts of everything but once you exceed a certain amount even enough water will put you in kidney failure too much if, of a good too much of a good thing yeah exactly so moderation common sense pretty important but when it comes to exercise or saunas typically you'd have to work really hard at it to end up with issues so i do my sauna and then i go do my cold plunge that one seems like it is the fat of all fads right now in this window of time i myself have been guilty of it had some experience with it 
from a naturopathic, I would recommend, I wouldn't recommend. I, we know of the benefits. Uh, we don't know. It's subjective. It's individual. Thoughts on cold plunging? Yeah, I think, you know, Wim Hof has done an excellent job at promoting that. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that they were teaching in naturopathic school before I ever heard of Wim Hof. It's called Before, before it became cool, pun intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's known as hydrotherapy. Um, and basically, you know, there's again going to be benefits in terms of the cardiovascular system. It helps in terms of mental health. There's also research showing that it helps the cardiovascular system. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's something that can be very useful. It can also help to regulate your, it helps you adapt to colder temperatures. And that's something that I think as Canadians, a lot of people struggle with. And it's minus 40 today as we talk right now, it is cold as F out there. Yeah. 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 Today, of course, everybody struggles, but everybody's um, cold plunging today by going outside. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But submerging yourself in that cold water, whether it's like high, like in the, I've got buddies that do it in the thirties. I do it tend to be forties, low fifties, the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of getting through that there is something there, there's some, there's a myriad of things going on, which I think is a personal journey and whether it's good for you or not, could, could check a variety of boxes. And sometimes it's just something new to shake up your routine too. Like I, I don't ever underestimate the value of just trying something new for sure. See and, how it works. And it does release endorphins, which help us, you know, in terms of our, I feel, I feel a bit high after <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is sure. like, Hey, what's up? Shivering naked guy. Why are you so jacked up in the morning? I'm like, I come out of the cold plunge. Anyways, that's too much sharing. I apologize for that. Um, it's very humbling in a lot in a lot of ways. Um, so we talked a little bit about let's let's talk about the biggest culprit for so many of us: tricks, tools, tactics to getting a good night's sleep. Because I don't care what you're doing, if your sleep is shit, the whole thing, the whole machine falls apart, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a very common problem. I, I there's not a week that goes by where I don't talk to someone who would love to be able to improve their sleep. So typically. There can be all kinds of reasons why someone doesn't sleep well, and it can be different whether you're having a hard time falling asleep or if you wake up and then are not able to return to sleep. But typically, you know, when someone tells me I don't sleep well, uh, there's a few things that, uh, there's a few boxes that I want to check. So first off, are they exercising? Because again, exercise um, will help you be more tired, it'll help to control emotion, decrease anxiety, which will help with better sleep. So if you're not exercising and you're not sleeping well, adding exercise will definitely help improve your sleep. After that, how much stress and anxiety is there? How long are your work days? Uh, is there a bedtime routine? Are you giving yourself time to relax before you go to bed? Are you bringing a phone to bed with you? Are you checking things that are anxiety provoking on your phone when you go to bed? Like. you know, a few years back, I had a really hard time sleeping. And then I realized it's because I look at my work emails right before I go to bed. And if there's an anxiety provoking email in there, I'm not going to fall asleep for hours. Because you just gave your brain something to work on as well as stimulating a bit of a stress response, which stimulates that fight or flight. Even the lion's coming around the corner. Sometimes your lion, the lion's in your email, right? It it can be, absolutely. Yes, it can be. And, and it's all how we perceive it, right? For sure. Another mistake that people often make is they don't sleep well. So then they start thinking, well, I'm going to spend more time in bed so that eventually I get enough sleep so that I'm yeah, rested. Yeah. And then what ends up happening when we do that is that the, what we call the sleep quality starts to get worse. So our sleep efficiency, which is the amount of time you spend in bed versus the amount of time you're asleep, 
should typically be at least 80%, hopefully 90%. So what ends up happening is these people will spend eight hours in bed and then they'll sleep six and they'll think, oh man, it's not enough sleep. So then they spend 10 hours in bed, but they're still getting six and then they're way more frustrated and they'll sometimes even increase that more. And then you start associating your bed with a place that you hate. I hate being there because this is where I go to worry. And that's what we need to avoid. So you need to be in bed when you're sleeping. So don't go to bed when you're not tired. If I'm anxious and I know I'm not going to be able to sleep, I get up, I go for a walk, I listen to an audio program, no bright lights. Um, Some people find reading a book is helpful. I find the light for me sometimes makes it worse. Um, Yeah, so that's another big thing to consider. Sometimes a sleep aid can really help. I I don't like relying on a sleep aid every day, but sometimes when people are not sleeping well, I'll give them something like melatonin for two weeks to see if we can get in a better pattern, improve the sleep efficiency, and then, you know, we remove the melatonin and a sleep aid and then see if they're able to carry and and have better sleep. You know, there's not... The the risk of something like a sleep aid, it's not only like there's a physical connection to it, but there's this weird, I need that to sleep. And the story and the tricks your mind play around that can be really, that's where I get very, like, I'm very cautious around that because you can, you can create a story that I need this to then therefore get that. And once you believe that, that's a whole other thing to break. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, eating or exercising in the evening, an hour before bed, two hours before bed, is there any kind of rule of thumb that way? I know it's still individual, but things that you just like, don't do a super hard workout and then expect to fall asleep 10 minutes after. Totally agree with that for sure. Okay. It's, it's usually, it can really vary, but the general rule of thumb is no intense exercise within two hours of sleep and kind of the same for food, uh, especially a heavy meal right before bed will usually mean a restless sleep. Same with a lot of alcohol, actually. Um, more vivid Alcohol dreams. Alcohol does not make night. for a good night's sleep. No, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, it may help you fall asleep, but you're not going to have a restful sleep if you drink before you go to bed, typically. Um, yeah, so exercise is very helpful, but um, years ago I used to play Ultimate Frisbee and I want to play in the winter. And the only time where we could get access to the dome to play inside was on Sunday night at 11 o'clock. So I'd play Ultimate Frisbee from 11 o'clock at night to midnight. I'd come home and be wired till 2, 2.30 in the morning and yeah. start my week absolutely exhausted. And so I quickly realized as much as I like to throw that Frisbee, I also need to sleep and not feel like I'm exhausted when I begin my work week. Especially starting your Monday back on your heels if like already exhausted. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, but you know, typically... Seven hours, seven and a half, eight, six and a half, personal, what's rule of thumb? Rule of thumb, seven to nine hours. The younger you are, the more you need. Uh, Seniors will sometimes do very well with six, seven hours. Teenagers need more 10, 11 hours. Uh, newborn babies, 12 hours. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty so. sure my dog sleeps 18 hours a day. Oh, every day. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah, so, I, I think and in our society, we have, I think it's slowly the stigma around, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead and da da da. da. I think a lot of that is starting to fall away. There's the macho sleep culture, the, the sleep superheroes. I but can I, live on yeah, four but hours. But I still see that all the time where patients will feel yeah. that sleep is a waste of their life. And then. Of course, you're not going to sleep well then. 
The story you tell yourself is so powerful. Right and then, there. and then that's where sometimes cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, talk therapy will be helpful because, yeah, yeah. you know, looking at what does proper sleep give you and it'll give you good energy. It'll give you better mental health. It'll help with your overall well-being. It, it decreases your risk of having heart disease, gaining weight. If you're exhausted, you're going to want to eat more high caloric food, which is typically more sugar, more fat. And so, yeah, it's not true that you know, sleep is, is not that important. It's, it's really important. That's where you build muscle. It helps you to consolidate memories. Um, so unfortunately, though, I still see tons of people that think, oh, man, I, I'll, I don't want to sleep. I, I want to do stuff. And when I sleep, well, I'm not back, doing back anything. Back to our anxiety-ridden world of like more, 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 climb the bigger mountain, sleep less, do the thing. It, be, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And at the end, you get poor health in exchange, ultimately. Yeah. The, certainly the higher risk in poor health. I don't want to, there's never a... Again. It's a vicious cycle. You, you don't sleep yeah. well, you don't feel well, you eat poorly, and then you're too tired to exercise. And next thing you know, you've gained weight and, and you're in poor health. It happens really slowly. And then all of a sudden, right? <laughs> Wham! You're like, how did, this, how did this get out of control? For sure. Um, we could talk for days, literally. Um, curious, any... If anyone's still listening, they're bought into this at the time you get to 50 minutes in any myths or things that, you know, going into 2024, as we kind of wrap up, even our chat, what are some things you hope just go away? Like we need to stop thinking that we need to stop doing that. We need to stop believing that's true. It no longer serves us anymore. Anything on your kind of cross it off the list list? <laughs> yeah, there's so many there for sure. But one of the things that I often do is or often see is people that will self-sacrifice because they put everything else before their own needs. You know, it's, it's sometimes I have to tell people there's a reason why when you're in an airplane, they say, if this cabin depressurizes, make sure you put the mask on yourself first so that you can help others. And, um, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make, you know, they, they, they go hard at work. They're, they work too too many hours or or you know they're there for everybody else their friends their family their kids but then they don't eat properly i see that all the time with moms you know the kids have this pristine diet and then mom has eats this crappy food on the side or stops at the drive through after dropping off the kids and and is not getting proper sleep and and so you know you have to look at your what's good for yourself so that you can help others and be productive and be happy and, and improve the lives of those around you. And so that's one of the things that I often see, um, you know, there, there's some things with supplements that, that sometimes irk me, like the whole coconut oil fat. I'm not a big fan of it's saturated fat. I've seen total cholesterol and bad cholesterol increase at times when people overdo that, um, we want to try to focus on unsaturated oil, things like olive oil, fish oil. That's, that's where the real benefits are in terms of cardiovascular health, mental health, decreasing inflammation. Um, in terms of supplements, you know, sometimes I see people that feel terrible and then they take 30 pills a day and it becomes overwhelming. They, they have gut issues and, and don't feel better. So, you know, more is not always better. And so, um, sometimes streamli streamlining things and, and trying to focus on, on the most important things is going to be really important. Uh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Like I think a lot of anxiety comes from uh, making mountains out of molehills. And, and so 
The other thing that drives me crazy is a lot of people are reluctant to get counseling when they need it, especially I find in older men, uh, there's a yes. real reluctance to sometimes go to the doctor. I, I used to work in a health food store when I first uh, first moved to Calgary. And sometimes it just blow my mind. Like I remember once a gentleman coming in and saying, I can't see out of this eye for the last two days. Uh, do you have a supplement? And I'm like, I think you need to go to the hospital, you know? Um, but some people are scared of doctors. That wasn't my dad, was it? Are you, it wasn't, that wasn't someone <laughs> like this. Yeah, anyways, anyways, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then getting regular screening. We all pay taxes to have the health care that we have. And, and like I was saying earlier, if your cholesterol is out of control, your blood sugar is too high, your, your blood pressure is, is not where it needs to be, if it doesn't get measured, you're probably not going to know. And then by the time you find out, you may be facing some serious problems. It's going to be real hard sometimes to recover your health. So uh, again, prevention. Prevention is important. Yeah, it's it's that it's that that dash that's that gas gauge. It's the dashboard. Then, but you've got to go seek out that that information and, and understand. Like even Tier said, okay, here's where I am. So that three years from now, if things change, I at least know that there's a trend. And I, I'm a huge advocate of take some ownership. It's your health. It's no one else's. Take some ownership of it. But there are generations that don't look didn't weren't brought up looking at it that way. To just be respectful. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think that needs but, to change. But it's time to change your mind. For sure. <laughs> no excuses. And we have I used to think things five years ago. I don't think those things anymore. We, we, we all have the opportunity to look at the world differently when we get new information. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Yeah. Ludo, so good to chat with you. Good to take our, uh, our, our, our often office meetings and turn it into a, a podcast about a subject I know we're both passionate about. What's the best way for someone to get a hold of you? They want to meet you. They want to do a consult. They want to come in. Is it e- email? Is it website? What's the, what's the path? Either, um, you know, my my um, my website is a good way to see what I do and and see where I work. It's drludobrunel.com uh, dot com, and okay, uh, email easy. also works, which is uh, first name so Ludovic L U D O V I C dot Brunel B R U N E L at gmail dot com, and um, I'm always happy to hear from people that are looking to improve their health. So please don't be shy. If you have questions, or if you want to work at improving your health, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Ludo, thanks so much. Thanks again. Good to know you. Good to have a chat today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It was really fun.